My name is Patrick J. McGinnis, and I coined the term FOMO. That's short for fear of missing out, and it's why some people end up following the crowd. But we're not like them. We're part of a new species that isn't afraid to do things differently. I call us FOMO sapiens. And this is the show where you'll meet people like us, phenomenal FOMO sapiens, to learn how they find the courage and the ideas to live exceptional lives. FOMO. FOMO. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of FOMO Sapiens, the show for people who don't just follow the crowd, but instead take their own path to six path to six in business and in life. I'm your host, Patrick J. McGinnis, venture capitalist by day, author and podcaster by night. And as you well know, FOMO Sapiens 24-7. And our topic today is how to let go of perfection. Listen, it's interesting. I've been receiving a lot of books on this topic. The publishers are nice. They send me the books. And it is a hot topic for 2023. And I've been looking at a lot of these books. And I'll have a few of these authors on because it is a really important topic. Perfection and FOMO, they're side by side. We're all strivers here. If you are listening to this show, you are a striver. And so you know what it's like to deal with perfectionism. It's very limiting. It is not a good thing. But sometimes I think as we grow up, we think being perfect, being super hardcore perfect and stuff is the way to get ahead. That was certainly my mindset. I was wrong. And so we're going to be talking about that. Now, the wonderful author I have today talks about this topic and particularly looks at it through the lens of women. It's for everybody this show. So don't guys, don't leave me. But for the women in the audience or for people who know women who deal with perfection and perfectionism. This is a great episode. And my guest today is Homera Kabir. She's the author of Goodbye Perfect, How to Stop Pleasing, Proving, and Pushing for Others and Live for Yourself. Now, I met Homera many years ago through her brother, and she was looking to write a book, and we were talking about it. And then, lo and behold, she does it. She gets a publisher, and she called me up, and she asked me to blurb her book, which I was so happy to do. I'm going to read you my blurb because it says exactly how I feel. I say, quote, why do we find it so difficult to let go of behaviors we know are getting in our way? Goodbye Perfect will help you to do so with more ease, joy, and success, end quote. So that's my hot take on this book. Now, here's my hot take on Homera, or more, more appropriately, here is her bio. Homera holds a master's degree in coaching psychology and in positive psychology, and she is the author of the new book, Goodbye Perfect, How to Stop Pleasing, Proving, and Pushing for Others and Live for Yourself. It's a mouthful, but I like it. All right, now, today we're gonna be getting into, first of all, again, as I said before, this is not just for the ladies. However, we are gonna be talking about specific issues that women deal with in the workplace and beyond. And so for the men listening, either share this episode with somebody who you know could benefit or think about how your behaviors might be contributing to some of the stuff we're gonna be talking about. I think it's a good time to focus on that. We're gonna be talking about some interesting topics and concepts that you may not have come up with before. The idea of fragile confidence and optimal confidence very important stuff. And also attachment theory. I actually had heard that term, but I didn't know what it was. And we get into it. I did some research. Very interesting stuff. So there's some psychology here. If you like the psychology, guys, if this is one of these shows where you're going to get what you like because we're getting into psychology today, which is a topic that obviously my guest knows a ton about. Now, small ask, share this. Share this episode with somebody who could benefit and tell them to start listening to FOMO Sapiens. I would love to meet your friends, as it were. All right, and now onto the interview. As you know, I start every interview with the same question, and the question is this, what's a formative decision you've had to make to get to where you are today? First of all, 
Patrick, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I've really looked forward to this. And the question that you're asking me is a, is a big question. And I guess it's a very important question. So I would love to answer it. For me, I think it happened around my 40th birthday. I know I've written about it in the book as well. But around that time, there were a couple of uh, deaths in the family, not the immediate family, but I think they they made me question deeply simply because I was also 40. It felt like a big milestone in my life. And I started wondering that if I were to die tomorrow or the next week or something, would I feel that I'd live my life fully? And unfortunately, the answer didn't seem to be yes. I mean, you know, it was it was everything seemed to be fine in my life. I mean, outwardly, I was living a great life. My uh, I was married, I had four kids, I had a therapy practice, I enjoyed my work. But then I felt I didn't feel it was my life. I felt it was somebody else's life, which was going very well. But I felt that if I were to die the next day, I wouldn't feel that I'd lived this life. And so it just led me to all this. I'm glad I listened to the question because I know so many of us arrive at these transition points in our lives and crossroads in our lives. And we kind of have these questions, but then we never take the time to listen because they're not easy questions and there are no easy answers either. I didn't know what was missing. I just knew something was missing. And so that kind of took me down the road of positive psychology. I found out around that time that there was a science that studied this, which is called positive psychology. It is the science of a meaningful life, a life of flourishing. And so I started that program. And I not only did positive psychology, I combined it with coaching psychology. So it was a double degree because I just didn't want the answers for myself. I also wanted to help other people with it because, like I said, I had this therapy practice And I always felt that I got my clients from, let's say, minus five, minus 10 to zero. But that zero was a very unstable place to be in. And I felt that if I could take them forward to plus 10, plus 20, what was possible in their lives, their recovery would be far stronger. So that is what I did. And then my postgraduate research was on women's flourishing, what helped us flourish. It led me to this place where I realized that what got in the way of flourishing was this kind of high confidence that's called fragile confidence. And and then the rest of it, I mean, then I started my coaching practice, then the book came and I just find felt that I had finally found my purpose. I was doing the work that I came here to do. And so Yes, if I, if I were to die next week, I wouldn't feel I had done the full version of it, but at least I would feel I am living my life and I'm doing the work that, I, that I'm here to do. And that feels very fulfilling. It's a, good, it's a good practice to ask yourself that question. You don't have to wait till you're 40, by the way. You can do it every day of your life, although it's time consuming. So you maybe want to do it every day, but it is a valuable thing to do. And I think it's sometimes you just do the self-audit around like, you know, if... if you don't have to say if, if I die, but like if I were to sit down and, you know, it's like people ask you how you're doing, what's going on with you? And if you don't feel good about the answer, that can be a sign too. And you don't even have to think about death if you don't want to. But I love that, that, that you did that exercise and then it spurred a lot of action because when you think about what you did, it's not, you know, existential dread when you take that and then you turn it into action. Now, your book, which is out now, is called... Goodbye Perfect, How to Stop Pleasing, Proving, and Pushing for Others and Live for Yourself. And 
this really is about, you know, it's about this something that some of a lot of us do, especially as type A pleaser types, which is, you know, striving for protect perfection. When I was a little kid, my nickname was Perfect Pat, believe it or not. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, but I was definitely a perfectionist. My teacher actually in third grade gave me, I was supposed to get all A's. She gave me an A minus to teach me the valuable lesson of not being perfect. But all it made me do was cry. So anyway... Didn't learn much in third grade, but over life teaches you this lesson, right? Yeah. You have to learn it one way or the other. But why was this for you the topic that you wanted to conquer? Yeah, that's an awesome question. So uh, like I said a little bit earlier, I didn't set out to study confidence or perfection or any of those things. I set out to study flourishing, but then I found out that what got in the way of it was this fragile confidence which can look like high confidence on the outside, but what's missing is deep-seated, implicit beliefs of worthiness. And as a result of those, that, those feelings of lack, we get hooked onto perfectionistic behaviors to kind mm -hmm. of protect ourselves from those feelings of lack. And the way to move from fragile confidence to optimal confidence, which is the path to flourishing, is by building those implicit feelings. Because explicitly in our heads, both those types of confidence show up as, yes, I know how to do this. Yes, I'm a good person, whatever it is. But deep down, you don't have them. So building those implicit beliefs is how we move from fragile to optimal. And when we develop those implicit beliefs, when we nurture those implicit beliefs, then we don't need those perfectionistic behaviors anymore because they don't need, we don't need to protect ourselves from anything anymore. So goodbye perfect is really a way of moving from fragile to optimal confidence as a way of living our best lives. So in a way, the book is really about flourishing, but letting go of perfection is what happens en route to flourishing. Now, let's get into this a little bit more. You, you mentioned these two terms, fragile confidence and optimal confidence, which I hadn't come across before. How would you define those two? And what is, you know, you mentioned sort of this internal sort of, you're sort of getting your beliefs in line to be able to take you from one to the other on this continuum. Mm -hmm. Talk about those two definitions and then some, let's get into sort of how one mm -hmm. makes that move. Mm -hmm. So fragile confidence is, well, technically it is basically explicit beliefs, which is the thoughts that you have in your head. Uh, uh, explicit beliefs, positive explicit beliefs underpinned by negative implicit beliefs. So that is that would be kind of the definition. But how it mm -hmm. shows up is that you're dependent on all of these perfectionistic behaviors, and there are many types of them. So there's perfection, there's pleasing, there's proving, there's showing that you're superior, there's pretend wanting to show that your life is perfect, all of those. There are six, and we can dive into them. It's like posting on Facebook, people. <laughs> You know who you are. You Instagram perfect people. You're doing this. Okay, continue, please. <laughs> and then optimal confidence is positive, explicit beliefs, feelings, thoughts that you have uh, underpinned by positive, implicit ones as well. And positive doesn't mean, yay, yay, I'm the best and I'm awesome. It is just realistic. Like I basically, it is implicit beliefs of two things in particular. I'm a good person. I have something of value. I'm worthy and have something of value to offer. That's called belonging. And there's mastery, which is, again, these deep-seated feelings of I can deal with whatever comes in the way in my pursuit of something that is meaningful to me. And, and so both of them are aligned. And so, and that creates beautiful feedback loops because when you do something well, 
you it goes it sinks into your implicit because obviously the two are aligned so your your implicit brain accepts it it sinks into it it makes you step out further you take action again so it creates these feedback loops whereas in fragile confidence they don't sink in it just you know in your head you know it but then you're still afraid to take action you still feel like an imposter after something goes well and if something doesn't go well you're like you know what i knew it and then you go down that downward spiral. And so it shows up as shame. It shows up as blame. It shows up as all those things. FOMO. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you improve efficiency by bringing all major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you got to do the math and save money. Good news, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to netsuite.com slash FOMO. That's netsuite.com slash FOMO. netsuite.com slash FOMO. Tudo bem, meus queridos FOMO sapiens. Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages. But I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. FOMO. So let's talk about this, you know, give us an example of somebody that you've worked with or somebody that, you know, you respect who has kind of done the work of going from one to the other. What does it look like? What, what, what does one need to do? Yeah, exactly. So I can give you an example of a client. So there's so many sure. of the women who come to me uh, who are in this stage of they're, they're experiencing setbacks or criticism and it's really bringing them down. And so I can, so there's this particular client who was a highly ambitious person. She was recruited into this firm uh, for change management. That, is, that was her role. She was brought in to do something which was, you know, overturned quite, quite a bit of uh, what was happening there. And, uh, you know, she had been, she was highly ambitious. She was a very high performer. She was very used to being successful in the work that she'd been doing at her, at all the previous uh, places that she'd worked at. Well, here it was a much more difficult and much more challenging situation. Plus her team, she had to do quite a bit of layoffs. The team wasn't happy with it. They weren't cooperating. She was just in this place where she wasn't receiving the approval or the success that she was used to because in fragile confidence, you depend on that to feel good about yourself. 
herself. And so there was this, just this downward spiral that began. She began questioning herself, very unhappy with the work that she was doing, came to me asking, should I just leave? Maybe this is not the right thing for me. And, and so the work revolved around trying to understand why this work was meaningful to her, why it was important to her, really finding, connecting to the big why. That is always very important because then you can face the challenges and the criticism and keep going because it's not the immediate success or the immediate praise that you're looking for. So one was that. But then the other was, how do you deal with the criticism when it happens? How do you move on from the failure when it happens? And most importantly, how, you, how do you deal with the emotional aspect of it? Because it's not always head work that we need to do. Most of them can say, yes, I failed. And, you know, it doesn't mean that I'm a terrible person in the head. They know it. But it's the emotional angst. It's how do you sit with that? And I think that is even more so for women. So how do you ride the wave of that? How do you deal in the moment with all of that? So skills to learn that. And plus to identify her areas of growth, because when we become dependent on certain things in our life, when we become dependent on, so she was dependent on success and praise. So Mm. she identified this pattern. So it is called, you know, First of all, you have to identify a pattern. So she identified a pattern that when she didn't get it, the downward spiral began. So identified the pattern, thought of, you know, what is the story that may be going through her mind with that? So what is she kind of really saying to herself? You sometimes can get to the story, sometimes you can't, but, you know, you can kind of get to it that this is perhaps what I'm saying to myself. Then expand that story a little bit, bring your more wiser self and say, is this really true? Or is this, you know, is it what has my life experience taught me? Is this really true? Expand that a little bit. And with that, say, okay, where then do I need to grow? Because when we become dependent on something, then we don't we don't develop certain qualities in us to be able to, because we are dependent on it, there are there is some skill development that needs to happen. And so identify what needs to be. So for this client in particular, it was the emotions. How does she deal with the emotions? Because then she would start binging. She would just, you know, just go into that totally disconnect from the work, couldn't carry on anymore. So how do you manage that? This was skills development. How do you ride the wave of the emotion? And then how do you set structures in your life that make it easier on a daily basis to do that so that you're building the muscle and it becomes easier over time? Yeah, it's. I'm listening to this. I'm just thinking, like people think about you know binging and addiction and substance abuse in terms of like drugs and alcohol and food and whatever, but it can be, you know, it can be just as damaging to be addicted to praise. Oh, because and and it's and you can't even go and buy praise at the store like you can Mm. chocolate cake. (laughs) So you have to do all kinds of yoga moves just to get people to give you this thing that you so desire. And when you start patterning your life around that. And see, and I mean, this is, we all know that person who's the ultimate people pleaser, by the way, I'm recovering uh, mm-hmm. from that, but I know how it is. It's like when you spend a lot of your time looking for external affirmation, I mean, it's an empty well that you will eventually, you know, you're going to, you know, you're not going to be able to have anything to drink. So that all makes sense to me. And um, it sounds like a really integrated solution. Now let's talk about the fact, you know, you mentioned in your, in your comments and, and, you know, in the book in particular, you talk about this, that this is different for women. So, you know, women have a different set of behaviors, not to stereotypes, but there are, you know, clearly some patterns. There's patterns around language. There's patterns around, you know, women who are high, 
highly competent, but shy away from risks and opportunities, fear speaking up, uh, you know, have sort of like imposter syndrome, all kinds of stuff like that happening. What's going on? Like, talk about why things are different for women. Well, many things. It's a long, it's a long topic, but you know, we, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's, let's, let's get into it. Let's get into the quick, quick one. Okay. So first, uh, I think, uh, biology has a role to play. So for example, one of the key things here is dealing with the emotional aspect of it. And I think women feel their emotions more. We are, you know, our spatial awareness, we can catch on to signs, little signs better. Uh, there are positives and negatives to everything. We're more sensitive by nature, more agreeable by nature. Sensitivity and agreeableness are primarily feminine uh, traits. Uh, so there is that aspect of it. There is also a lot of times early experiences and not that, you know, if you grew up in the same household, a boy and a girl with the same parents, the girls, because of their sensitive nature, may take certain comments more to heart. And so, you know, that that it itself starts its own cycle. And then also society holds a high bar for women, for success, I mean, for women in the workplace. Often women are held to higher standards. There is so much research to show that. Uh, often women, especially as they rise to more senior levels, they face that famous double bind of, you know, too competent or too likable, either way held back. So there are many things that that lead women to be to be more sensitive to external feedback, more wanting to, more wanting praise, more wanting approval. And, and so that kind of primes us towards this. Now this gets into attachment theory, right? Because, and I, this is, I want you to talk about this because I was, I was reading about this in the book, but, and I've heard, you know, we throw that term around, but to be honest with you, I was sort of like, you know, I wanted to hear it from the writer herself. So talk about then how attachment theory plays into all of this because it's really it's really interesting and it's one of those terms that again we throw around but like let's get into what it really means for people in their day-to-day -day lives so attachment theory plays a key role here simply because like i was mentioning earlier the key difference between the two types of high confidence is what lives in the implicit world and the implicit world is heavily impacted by those very early years of our lives before the brain develops the capacity for conscious thought and reasoning. And so the experiences that we have before age three or so are mostly with our early caregivers. Now, again, I'm very careful here of, you know, just saying, oh, it was everything was your caregiver's fault. It, it doesn't work like that, especially in this day and age. I mean, you know, you look at little kids, they're six months old and they're holding an iPad, right? So there is so much <laughs> more that goes in the implicit world than what your caregiver said. In fact, more and more what your caregivers say don't have that much of an impact. So, and there's a lot more. And then the implicit world doesn't just close after you hit age three. There are so many other things that happen in life that can have kind of, a, that can stay kind of hanging in your implicit world because you don't make sense of them. They exceed your capacity to make sense of them. And so very challenging experiences, for example, toxic relationships, um, again, your own, your own nature. I mean, again, it plays in with that. What your parents said to you maybe perhaps was just normal. They were saying it to all the siblings, but you somehow took it very strongly to heart because, again, of your own nature. Then I also talk about, you know, what something that happens in adolescence that's called 
pruning and myelation. Some of us are just biological, genetically, we're just wired with less of those coping GABA uh, neurotransmitters that help us calm our emotions. So something hits us more strongly. And so all of these factors lead to an, an implicit world that feels disempowered in some way. And so that is where attachment theory comes in. And so when I talk in the book about about attachment theory, it is just to help you understand that, uh, you know, these are the two key insecure attachment styles, not in the clinical population, but in the regular population, you and I who are just high strivers and trying to get somewhere because in a way we're trying to prove ourselves in some way. And so what are those two styles and what are the behaviors related to them and what are the thought patterns related to them so that we just create that gentle, compassionate distance from them and don't take them to be the truth. There is not a lot that we can do with them. These are visceral. They are implicit. They happen on auto. And just saying that they shouldn't happen to me these feelings shouldn't happen no they happen there's very little we can do about it so really trying to just not have feel it anymore is kind of impossible but what we can do is just create enough distance so that we don't engage in those behaviors because they're not serving us FOMO FOMO yeah, when you, it's really true what you say and, and I think about just my own sort of social circle and friends and professional contacts. And it's like, this is one of those things that a lot of people don't even think about until they hit their thirties and forties. I don't know why that is. It's just sort of like you get to a point in your life where you start to recognize these patterns that are not serving you. And you start to be a little bit more inquisitive about where those things come from. And then you might dive back into, you either, you know, work with a therapist or do, you know, psychedelics or whatever it is for you. And you start to have these realizations. And so this is, uh, if, if you haven't thought about this in the past, everybody, this is really worth doing. And I'm not saying they call your parents and tell them they broke you, by the no. way, that is not, that is not, not the play all. here. Yeah. And, and by the way, I've had dinner with Homer's parents <laughs> and they're wonderful people. So we won't be calling them, but, yeah. uh, and but I it is challenging situation. Like I, I write about it in the book. I faced a very mm-hmm. challenging situation. So for me, I think it had nothing to do with that. It was just that the situation that I faced just exceeded my capacity to deal with it. And so, yeah. and so that's why the implicit is made up of all of these wonderful things. Yeah, that's very good. Now, I do want to talk a little bit. You are, so you're from Pakistan. You live in Oman, which is one of the nicest places ever. <laughs> And so, and you've lived elsewhere in the world, Canada, other places. Talk about the cross-cultural elements here, because yeah, gender is a a major lens to think about Mm -hmm. these issues. But I imagine, I got to think that, well, gender plus culture or just culture alone has a huge place. So how can we, you know, for folks that are, we have listeners everywhere all over the world. Mm -hmm. Hello, everybody. What's your, what's your viewpoint on this? My viewpoint is there are certain things that are just global. They are part of being human. So, for example, Mm -hmm. the scars we get growing up are just part of being human. And back to your point that, you know, it's not about blaming anybody. It's just part of being human. The world does this to us. It disconnects us from who we are. Uh, And, you know, it scars us in many ways. Uh, Going to school, teachers, parents, like everything. At the end of the day, we just arrive at a place where, We've been carrying these scars with us, and it's important to do the inner work and to go back there. So all of that, I think, is just the journey of of life, and uh, and that is so that that kind of that thing, I think, is just you know, it is just 
global. I don't think, yeah, it's, it's the universal. human experience. It is the yeah. human experience, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Suffering is the human experience, right? Yeah. And so, and then, uh, but then what I do find, it, uh, one of the key differences is that in this part of the world, in collectivist cultures, that sense of belonging is stronger, uh, What's perhaps more missing is that sense of mastery because for mm. women, and I'm talking about women, they don't mm. have as many opportunities to go out into the world to take uh, to take risks, to do all of that. So they don't develop as much of that. And in, in the Western world, I find that the mastery aspect of it is stronger than the belonging aspect. And that, again, is a reflection of cultures, individualistic cultures, and, and also the way families have become single unit families and a lot of, you know, everything that has happened over the past 50, 60 years that has transformed family systems and all of that. I mean, here, grandparents also live with you and aunts and uncles also live with you and everybody talks about their history and they sit under the stars and they talk about it and all of that. So it does that we talk about the implicit, right? It does sink in deep inside of you where you feel more grounded in that sense. Oh, most definitely. And most of, I, I, I completely agree. I think it's when you travel around the world and you see people who live in, you know, with all of the family around them, I mean, there's, everything has its trade-offs, yes. but there is a whole, a wholly different vibe around that. Now, talking about obviously how women are different in this, in this aspect, you know, one thing that I want to talk about here, because you know, many of our, about half of our listeners are men. Mm -hmm. And I want to ask you for the, the guys who are listening, who have been learning alongside, and I think a lot of this obviously applies to men as well. But for for men who are hearing this and saying like, okay, get it, now I understand things are different. How can men be better colleagues, supervisors, friends, parents to women and girls? Like, what do we need to do to help to you know address these challenges? Awesome question. Awesome question. So I would say self awareness. You see, for mm. women, it's easier for the self-awareness. And again, I'm talking in generalizations, okay? Mm -hmm. But our <laughs> implicit world speaks to us in our heads because of the self-doubt, because of all the things. I mean, you know, we can hear it. We doubt ourselves all the time. We, we've heard it so much. We haven't been allowed to get to big-headed about ourselves. Mm -hmm. So we, we doubt ourselves. We hear those thoughts in our heads, and so it's easier to work with them. Again, generalization for, for a lot of the men, they get the praise, they get the successes. And so sometimes they are not aware of areas of growth for themselves. So for men, fragile confidence can show up somewhat differently to the way it shows up for women. For women, it can show up a lot like low confidence as well, or, or a yo-yo between high and low, depending on what's happening around them. For men, it can show up more as sometimes feelings of superiority uh, and stuff like that. So I think just that self-awareness, just being willing to be wrong, being willing to listen more and expand the perspective, the perspective. Because the thing is when fragile confidence gets very extreme, 
it can it can look in the scientific literature it can look a lot like narcissism so you don't have it is just you know you are the right one and everybody else is wrong it can so and that is again because that gap between what you think about yourself i'm great versus what you feel deep down about yourself is very wide and the wider it gets the more it starts looking like narcissistic behaviors so i mean you know again i mean i'm sure there are very sensitive men out there as well and for them it may look more like the way it shows up for women but generally you find that the more successful you get and that happens for women as well except that there are more men who are successful than women who are successful unfortunately again because of a lot of things but yeah that that can start widening the gap and then that self-awareness starts becoming lower and lower so i would just say again self-awareness do that some of that inner work and try to understand what wh- where do my behaviors come from why are they like this are they helping are they helping relationships in fact the relational aspect of it is very important because where fragile confidence really uh, struggles is with relationships yeah it's this you just nailed it i tell you what i just did an episode on how to deal with narcissists everybody we are all we all have our narcissist radar up because i'm convinced that it's the narcissists hello elon musk hello sam bankman fried that are just blowing up the world so i'm not going to even mention some of the other ones because you Mm -hmm. know yeah it's too controversial but anyway it is it is something and guys if you're doing this kind of stuff the thing, I mean, it's we can all do it, women, men, whatever. But if your if your sort of lack of confidence is showing up as is obnoxious narcissism, I got to tell you what, everybody can see the emperor has no clothes. So you know, just it's not your little act isn't working. So don't do that. It's going to catch up with you. Now the book is called Goodbye Perfect: How to Stop Pleasing, Proving, and Pushing for Others and Live for Yourself. I like that. If you want to find out more about Homera, you can go to her website. It's Homera Kabir. That's H-O-M-A-I-R-A-K-A-B-I-R.com where you can find out a lot more. I was there. And by the way, lots of free goodies. If you want free goodies, lots of free goodies. All right, Homera Kabir, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Patrick. This was lovely. I really enjoyed it. FOMO. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on the web at FOMOSapiens.com or PatrickMcGinnis.com, where you can get all kinds of free resources to live a more decisive and entrepreneurial life. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstro. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMO Sapiens, reach out to contact at FOMOSapiens.com. FOMO.